As we turn to God's word this evening, I want us to um, turn again to that passage of scripture that we read together, Galatians chapter 5, and in particular, I want to focus on uh, verse 1, but I will uh, focus on it in its context, and um, I will, um, in a way, build up the context, and my introduction will perhaps tonight be a little longer than uh, we would normally have, as I just give you an overview of this letter. One of the privileges that I have as a retired man is that I'm a member of a local church, and therefore I enjoy the privileges that come from um, the care of a team of elders and the privilege of being able to join God's people in worship and prayer. But as a travelling minister, I also get the opportunity, as I am here tonight, to visit other churches. And I see a wide range of churches. Um, that's geographically, because coming from Pembrokeshire uh, in West Wales, I still get invitations uh, to go there. And living here in Kent, um, you've got the full east-west stretch of our country. But it's not simply geographical. It's uh, theological. It's um, people's understanding of the church and of worship. And from this great variety, there comes a question. What is acceptable in the Christian life? What is acceptable in worship? Um, similarly, um, there is the question, what is required? Because there's a big difference uh, between saying, yes, this we'll, we'll accept that, and saying, well, this is essential to Christian worship or to Christian living. Now, um, Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to address an issue where people are being tempted to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to say, well, yeah, we believe on him, but we want to uh, go back to the laws of the Old Testament. We want to make sure that we are keeping the rules. Now, um, I'd have been interested to meet Paul, because I don't think he was the most subtle of people. Um, perhaps he wasn't the most... Um, easy character to get on with and he uses strong expressions um, in this letter and if you've got a bible perhaps you'd uh, follow me um, as I point out some verses so back in chapter 1 and verse 8 Paul is addressing false teachers and he says this but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, to put that in the vernacular today, Paul is saying, let him go to hell. That is strong, isn't it? It's, it's, we wouldn't tolerate it in our circles. And I want to be careful with what I say, but in chapter 5, the chapter that we read, and verse 12 
Paul uses an expression that is written carefully here in the New King James Version. But he says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And what he's actually saying is that um, these teachers want you to be circumcised. Well, if they want that, let them emasculate themselves. I won't be any more detailed than that. But that is strong, isn't it? And that's how um, concerned Paul is that the gospel should not be changed or added to. Paul was not afraid of people. And we see this in uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. And there he says, now when Peter, and remember Peter is the man uh, appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be the foundation of the New Testament church. He preached on the day of Pentecost. Um, it was he who was given the vision to go to the Gentiles. But Paul writes this, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Today we'd say, he's got some bottle, hasn't he? Um, that he was prepared to stand up against this man, so signally used of God. Now with all of that uh, difficulty, Paul is also passionate about the true Christian message. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's here straight into the gospel. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Paul is not messing about. He says he's done it. He has paid it all um, and we are so grateful for such assurance and then in chapter 2 and the latter part of verse 20 um, he, he actually says this uh, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me tonight friends we can look at the great truths of the scripture and we can see that Jesus died for his people. But I want to ask you tonight, can you, like Paul, say, he did it for me? Remember the old Sunday school hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me. And this is what Paul is writing here. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Similarly in chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Isn't that wonderful? We who were born in sin, we who have lived against our God, Christ has redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's paid the price. And this is the passion with which Paul writes. So you've got two extremes in what I've described as a very strong letter. 
Don't preach anything other than the gospel. And if you do, go to hell. Because you're of no use to God. You're of no use to this world. But then the other extreme. Christ redeemed me. Christ loved me. Christ gave himself for me. So um, these are the two extremes of this letter. But I want to show you what Paul wants to happen in the heart, in the life of all who read this letter when he first wrote it. And what he wants to happen in the life of every believer here tonight. Chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children. Isn't that a wonderful expression? This hard man. This uh, man who has got authority. He says, um, my little children. In Wales we'd say boys back. Um, And that's that's just comforting. Uh, He's got a relationship with these people. My little children, for whom I labour in birth again until Christ is formed in you. What does Christ want for you tonight? We've been told he loves you, he loves me. What does he want for you? He wants that Christ be formed in you. How many children when they're born do the parents the grandparents look down on him and say oh just like his dad just like his mom well that's what Christ wants to happen when we leave this world when we reach eternity Christ wants to be reflected in us changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place Christ wants you tonight, if you are a Christian, to grow and to become more like him. Okay, I said the introduction was going to be long. That's it. Let's look at this verse then. Stand fast. This is chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage my first heading tonight is a gospel declaration Um, in the ESV which is what I'm more familiar with this verse begins with this statement for freedom Christ has set us free Um, it's there in the middle of this verse by which Christ has made us free Paul isn't entering into any discussion. He's not worried about these false teachers. He says, I'm not going to discuss this with you because I want you to understand that the Christian message is all about um, our liberty in Christ. The false teachers were saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but keep the dietary laws. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but make sure that all your boys are circumcised. Keep the um, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but make sure that you keep the Sabbath. And Paul says, no, Christ has set us free from all of that. We are not in bondage. And in chapter 4 and um, verse 10, he describes part of the teaching 
you observe days and months and seasons and years. And um, he's saying, you're tying yourself up. And you want to make sure that you keep all the rituals. But um, in chapter 6 and verse 15, he says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And what he's saying is, whatever you want to add to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not help you one iota. It will not add to the work that Christ has done for you. Why? Because for freedom, Christ has set us free. And in chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That's frightening, isn't it? He said, if you add anything to Christ, in effect, you are saying that, okay, Jesus has done part of it, but I'll do my bit. Jesus has taken us so far, but we've got to go the rest ourselves. No, friends. The Christian life begins, grows, and will be completed in Christ. Or to put it another way, it will be completed in our relationship with Christ. Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians, says this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I'm delighted this evening to see young people with us. Now, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you might be afraid, you're at school, maybe you're at college or university, and you see everything that is coming in upon you, where is your faith tonight? Is it in Christ? Because Paul says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Believe it or not, I can remember when I was your age as well. <laughs> I was converted at the age of 13. And I remember hearing a man give his testimony. And he said, I walked with the Lord for 50 years. And I can remember thinking at that time, well, I hope that I remain faithful and I get to the point in my life where I can say, I've walked with God for 50 years or God has kept me for 50 years because that's the, the more important part of it. I won't tell you how long I've walked with him, but I've walked with him a lot longer than 50 years. And I thank God for that glorious assurance. I have to tell you, as a preacher of God's word, any benefit that we have as Christians is in Christ. Now, this isn't simply the teaching of Paul, but this was clearly stated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, he says this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who is the truth? What is the truth? Well, the truth is the Bible. 
but the truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the same chapter and verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh, what a glorious assurance. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He is talking about being set free as a slave. And to explain that in spiritual terms, we were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Our natural desire was to live without God, to become selfish, and to do those things that dishonour God. Even as Christians, Paul writes, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Do you know that experience? And it rips us apart. But I want to say to you tonight, don't look at yourself. Look to Christ. Because he has paid it all. He has set us free. In the great sermon on the mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says, I have not come to destroy the law. I have come to fulfill it. And hallelujah, he did that. He kept the law from beginning to end. He kept the Sabbath. He honoured his parents. He didn't rise up um, against his father as Satan would have wanted him to do. No, he um, walked in fellowship with his father. And throughout his life, he kept the law of God. So that when he prayed on the night of his betrayal, in John 17, he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Now what does that mean? Because on the cross, 18 or so hours later, he cried out, It is finished. So what did he mean in John 17? And what did he mean on the cross? In John 17, he was saying, Father, you sent me into this world to keep the law on behalf of my people. Well, I've done it. That's what John 17 is saying. I've kept the law. In no point have I failed. And therefore, you cannot judge me for my sin. On the cross, when he cries out, it is finished after he's been through the three hours of darkness and he has known the intense judgment of God, he says it is finished. What does he mean? He means that the punishment that was due to each and every one of his people has been paid. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus <coughs> suffered for your sins and for my sins if you have put your trust in him. But I want to say this tonight. And you may not like this. But if you are not in Christ, if you've never come to the place where you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, he has not paid the price of your sin. 
Not one drop of his blood was wasted on the cross because he paid the full price for every sin of every one of his people. Now if that frightens you, I hope it does. I believe that's the work of the Spirit showing you that you have to get right with Christ. That you have to be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear Son. And you do that by repenting of your sin and confessing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers then and today will say to you, try harder, you might get there, you might reach God's standard, but Paul's gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that I have had the privilege of preaching for many decades, says this, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me unpack that for you. He who knew no sin, who's that? Jesus. He became sin for us. He took our sins. Peter puts it like this. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. So, um, he has taken our sins upon himself. But, there is a response in Christ. He's taken our sin and for every believer here tonight he has given us his righteousness. So what does that mean? It means when the judgment day comes and perhaps you are feeling condemned and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I hadn't said that, then you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God will say, next one. And he'll say, you're covered by Christ. I don't see Bernard Lewis. I don't see Paul Orchard. But I see Christ. Because we are dead and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. But let me give you the flip side of that as well. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12 John writes he who has the son has life but he who does not have the son of God does not have life what frightening words what awful words but that is the truth friends there is only eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ and with these contradictions life condemnation I thank God that Paul writes in Romans 8 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus oh what glorious truth do you know that peace tonight do you know that assurance that even if you had rushed into glory um, or into eternity when you leave this chapel building tonight do you know the assurance that you will not be condemned because Christ has paid the price for you I've spoken of the work of Christ related to the work of the Father who has chosen us but do you know the work of the Spirit in John 3 the Lord Jesus Christ says you must be born again 
I want you to put up your hand tonight. If there is anybody here physically who decided they wanted to be born. And I'm glad nobody's put their hands up. (laughs) But it helps you to understand, doesn't it, what Jesus is saying when he says you must be born again. Just as we contributed nothing to our natural birth, so we can contribute nothing to our spiritual birth. You must be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit must give you new life. And that new life then leads you to that place of faith and of repentance. This is a gospel declaration. I don't care what you believe. This is what Christianity is all about. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So that's a gospel declaration. I now want to give two gospel demands. Not law, not things to do to get right with God, but responsibilities because you have been born again of the Spirit. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. You see these two demands in our text. Stand fast. And then the second one, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, I've preached to you the most wonderful message you will ever hear. You might hear it preached in a better way, but you'll never hear anything better than what I've preached to you tonight about what Christ has done for us. And Paul says, stand fast. And this is the first of my gospel, or not my gospel demands, but Paul's gospel demands. He's saying, stand fast in this gospel. Stand fast in this truth. Let it wrap you around. Let it be the assurance that you have in Christ. Now is Paul saying, don't move. Don't grow. Don't change. No. What he is saying is, remain constantly in this faith. Remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be turned aside to anything else. The psalmist says in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. And that is what Paul is saying here. But let me give you a couple of illustrations from the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, as he's drawing things to a conclusion, as he's, as it were, applying what he's been teaching, he gives two pictures. One is the picture of two roads. The other is the picture of two builders. But they are exactly the same message. And when Paul says, stand fast, he's saying, every day in your life, as a Christian... Now, don't think of the two roads as the beginning of the Christian life. The two roads are decision-making in the Christian life. So, um, as you face decisions, particularly those of you who are young, as you plan your lives, you come to a junction, you come to a crossroads, you come to a time of change, you've got the broad road before you that everybody seems to be following, You've got the narrow road that is only wide enough for one person to walk along. I was in a village in Papua New Guinea on one occasion 
and um, this man said to me, um, this road travels all the way to Moorhead. I thought, what road? And he pointed to a track in the grass which was wide enough for one person to follow. It may have come to Moorhead, but it was certainly not a four-lane motorway like we see. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is, don't follow the crowd, follow Christ. And I want you to remember that the Christian path is only wide enough for one person to walk. When you say, Bernard, Jesus says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't, but he's gone ahead of us. He's leading the way. So, when Paul says, stand firm, stand fast, he's saying, stick to the road. Stick to the road that Christ is leading you along. And then that other illustration, the illustration of... Uh, the two builders and um, you've got you know you're familiar with the story aren't you Um, one man builds his house on the sand and um, he builds it very quickly because he hasn't got all the hard work of breaking up the rocks the other man builds it on the rock he has to uh, break through into the rock he has to make the foundations part of that which is solid and when trials come in life then um, the one who was built on the sand, the waves come, the winds come, the rain come, and they totally undermine the house. But we are told that the man whose house was built on the rock stands firm. Why? In in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that that rock is Jesus, and we are to remain on him we are to remain in him and we are to go through life constantly developing our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when problems come in the Christian life and come they will don't look to self-effort because you won't cope with it yourself what, I shall, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will take the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Friends, when troubles come, just go back and say, Lord, I know I asked you for help yesterday. I know I faced this challenge last week, but would you help me again? And he'll say, yes, come. I will lead you through this. Go back to Christ. Go back to his person, perfect, the Son of God who became man and who um, went through all that we have gone through here on earth. Go back to his work, his work on the cross and say, yes, Lord, I know I failed. I'm, I'm ashamed. Be, be like the... Um, the tax collector who went up to the temple he beat on his brow uh, on his chest and he was afraid to look up to heaven and he said God be merciful to me a sinner go back to his work and realize that my sin or the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord Oh, my soul. But go back to his work. 
as the one who sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and pray, Blessed Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Give me the assurance that I'm not alone, that you will equip me for this. Go back to his word. What book do you find it the hardest to read? I don't know what your reading fashion is, but it's so easy to pick up that novel or that history book or that chemistry book and say, oh, this is wonderful. But this is the book. Go back to Christ in his word and find his peace. <coughs> Friends, this is a positive demand. We are told, stand fast. Stand firm in Christ. He is with us, even though, you know, we've got into autumn now, haven't we? Where we live, we've got a wonderful setting because um, our front, the front of our house looks virtually directly east. And we get up in the morning and there the sun is rising. Follows round and at night, uh, it sets in our back garden. And through the summer, you get wonderful um, sunrises, you get wonderful sunsets. But we've come into autumn, the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. And oh, you get up and you think, oh, isn't it dreary today? Oh, what's going to happen? I can't see the sun. But where's the sun? It's there. Whether we, like it or, whether we see it or not, the sun is there and he is with us I beg of you live in his presence and the assurance of what he has done for you so that's the positive demand the negative demand the don't command is do not um, be entangled again with the yoke of bondage or the yoke of slavery and Paul is saying if you add anything to Christ it will only enslave you now he's using um, a picture from farming in his days and um, animals were yoked together a beam of wood would go across their shoulders and um, they would be there as a help in theory to one another but when a young animal had to be uh, broken in to the yoke it would be tethered to an older animal and the older animal would know okay he's put the yoke on us again what we have to do is keep steadily plodding on but the young animal would be the, I don't want this I want to get free I want to do it my way and there would be this struggle and Paul is saying, don't struggle, don't struggle with slavery, but rather remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has said to you. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ does ask us to get into the yoke. But when you have got two 
mature animals using a yoke. The plough cuts the furrow. The cart is towed with security. The purposes are fulfilled. And Paul is saying, you can go back to the laws. You can go back to the rules. You can go back to sinful desires. But they're not going to give you freedom. They're not going to give you peace. But the Lord Jesus Christ will give you peace. The writer to the Hebrew says, He was tempted in all points like we are. He understands. He cares. And if you go back to the Psalms, the Psalms is a book of poetry. Now, it wasn't um, like a class in school where your English teacher said to you, I want you to write a poem on a summer's day. No, the Psalms were written in response to the circumstances of life. And David in Psalm 55 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Friends, you will go through life and you will face challenges and they will feel overwhelming. They will feel as though they crush you. But David says, look, I've been through that. Don't let it crush you. Give it to the Lord. Again, in Psalm 37, uh, he writes, verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. In that same psalm, three times he says, Do not fret. Do not fret. Do not fret. Anybody here fret? Get agitated? Get worked up? What am I going to do in this? Now give it to the Lord. You know, Peter was a man who made a mess of it a few times, didn't he? But when the Lord had dealt with him and he's writing his letters, he says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. What is he saying? Don't carry it yourself. Give it to the Lord. Do not become entangled. Do not submit again to a yoke of bondage, of slavery. This happens by letting other things, sometimes very good and important things, but letting them become more important. Do you remember um, the parable of the sower? And some seeds were sown among the thorns. And when they grew up, they choked them. And what the Lord says is, the cares of this world will choke you. And friends, none of us are exempt from the cares of the world. But we are to cast them on the Lord. So as I draw things to a conclusion this evening, let me remind you of Paul's desire for your life and for my life. Chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, for whom I labour in birth again until Christ is formed in you. 
He wants change. He wants us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Later in chapter 5, he tells us the, the works of the flesh, the things that will trap us. But he then goes on and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when you're facing the challenges of life, let these fruits grow within your life. Peter, again, when he's dealing with the same trials and the, the same tensions, in the second letter, he says this, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to enjoy Christ. So he says, stand fast in all that Christ has done for us. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I want to conclude by asking you the question, why did Christ come into the world? You probably know John 3.16. He came into the world because God sent him so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 goes on and says this. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Are you feeling condemned tonight? Are you feeling threatened? That's not the work of Christ. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. We are free. We have been set free because Christ has set us free. So tonight I want to say to you, Stand fast in Christ. Remain in him. And may he give you the grace to grow in him and to enjoy his goodness day by day until that day when we are called into his presence and we will be 